to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week we discuss a movie and then one of us suggests the next movie for us to watch and discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services so that you can participate with us. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. Joining me this week is Alicia Walker. Hello. Christine Deacon. Hello. Josh Dean. Hi there. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And on this week's show, we are discussing Alicia's suggestion, Playtime from 1967. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Nathan, what have you been watching lately? Well, I took another stab at the uh, Trilogy of Life by Pier Paolo Pasolini, which was something I picked up off the Criterion Collection at uh, you know one of our local used places. I thought, hey, it's Criterion. I'm going to try this. Uh, the first one I had tried to watch uh, and Alicia watched with me several months back was The Canterbury Tales. That's actually the second in the trilogy. So I watched the third in the trilogy, just trying to keep it really out of order. Um, for anybody that is curious about what the hell this is, um, it is basically your really ancient texts of storytelling, such as Canterbury Tales or Arabian Nights, as is told, with the perspective of a very very horny director with lots and lots of nudity lots of dicks lots of other things um basically as if taboos didn't exist and it's kind of entertaining i'm looking forward to the last one i'm not gonna say these are good movies (laughs) i'm just gonna say they're entertaining and kind of leave it at that so Arabian Nights was like the Canterbury Tales in its nudity level. So I will say this. I, I got about a third of the way through reading Arabian Nights at some point in my life and didn't get very far beyond that. But if anybody's ever read the Arabian Nights, you know that it's like stories within stories within stories within stories. Like just randomly in the middle of a story, someone will go, why don't you tell me about that? And then starting into a new story and you may or may not ever get back to the guy that's actually telling that story. Um, so that's essentially what this is. It takes the actual stories that were in Arabian Nights. It skips like the big outer framing story of Shahrazad and some of that and jumps down into some of the more interesting ones, according to the director, probably ones that were more lending to being able to film with lots of with nudity. eroticism is my guess. Yeah. Uh, but it's fun. I kind of like it. Okay. Fair enough. I wouldn't Christine, recommend it to you? your mom. You don't you know, don't my, know mom. my mom. <laughs> Ow. Christine, is your t- what, what, what have you been watching? Um, over the weekend, I watched all of the new Hulu series, uh, season one of MODOK. I really enjoyed that. I love Patton Oswalt and all that he's done thus far. Um, so I was really interested to see him do MODOK because uh, I know he's been wanting to do that for a while and I know a few people who are really fascinated by the character Modoc. so I went into the series knowing not too much about Modoc, but really getting to love everything about the character and just loving all the different voice actors that they used Ben Schwartz was amazing in it and highly highly recommend it yeah, Modak is one of those like like ultimate left field Marvel characters, like Howard the Duck or something like that, just completely batshit insane, but always hilarious. Um so I have a panic uh Patton Oswald anecdote anecdote 
God, I can't talk. I have a Patton Oswalt anecdote um, <laughs> from when I went to uh, help out with Everything is Festival in 2013. There was a night where he was hosting a movie, and the idea of it was was that he used to read some like film magazine that would talk about like all the craziest movies ever made. And or it was a book with like a list or something like that. Anyway, one of the movies that was in there that he could never track down and watch was this movie called The Finks, P-H-Y-N-X, like Sphinx, but Finks. And the movie is essentially the generation of the parents of the kids that watched The Monkees making a ripoff and a kind of satire of The Monkees. So The Finks is like this this like fictitious band, but like Colonel Sanders is in the movie. It has some like James Bond kind of satire going on in it. It's completely insane. And he had never seen it, but somebody was getting ready to put it out on video. And so they got a copy to show at this festival. And so he went up and he was like, he told me the story I just told you. He puts it on. We start watching it. And about three quarters of the way through the movie, which is completely insane. I everybody in the audience just hears him go, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the movie, he he got back on the microphone. He said, "I wasn't going to do this. I wasn't going to say anything after the movie, but after what we just witnessed, I have to say at least this. As you're driving home tonight, wondering what the fuck just happened, just know that I am doing that too. <laughs> and that was his sign off and he left. So the Finks, um, also a movie I wouldn't recommend uh, to, your mom. to anyone. Uh, <laughs> my mom might think it's funny actually. So who knows? Um, Josh, what have you been watching? Uh, well, um, uh, in memoriam, once again, uh, to uh, another fallen actor, we uh, some friends and I watched um, The Heartbreak Kid with Charles oh, Grodin. I love that uh, movie. Right? 1972. I'd never seen it before. Um, Where did you gr- find it is what I have to quickly interrupt and ask. Uh, a friend of mine has access to dark under things on the internet. That, okay. Uh, that yeah. explains it. Yeah. The less said, the better. But um, okay. Yeah. We uh, we watched it on Twitch and um, it was uh, I don't know it was an amazing uh, performance. I had only seen parts of the Ben Stiller remake, uh, which does not do the original justice at all. Um, no, but uh, Neil Simon wrote the screenplay. Elaine May directed it, and um, Charles Grodin plays a, a guy who gets married at the very beginning. And uh, on his honeymoon, runs into Sybil Shepherd and immediately falls in love with her. Uh, and the rest of the movie is him trying to extricate himself from his newlywed uh, marriage and chase down Sybil Shepherd. And uh, hilarity ensues. And some of the most cringeworthy comedy I've seen in a long time. If you like comedy that makes you uncomfortable. Um, What's the name of it again? The Heartbreak Kid. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like something. Uh, oh, what's his name? I lost his name. Never mind. Move on. Well, I'll <laughs> just say I. Oh, Albert Brooks would do. Albert Brooks. It's very Albert Brooks. It, it is very like. Albert Brooks. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. 
I've been trying to get a copy of that. For, <laughs> oh God, for for years, and of course, like they, it's out of print, and you know, just expensive ones on eBay that are DVD and all you know VHS and everything. But yeah, it's great. Cool, uh, Zach. How about you? Um, real quick, just shout out to Dale's recommendation to Family Tree. I finally started that. Really great, very fun. Um, so thank you for getting me into that. Um, one thing that I finally got chugging along on is, um, the John Wayne Gacy devil in disguise, uh, docuseries on Peacock and it's tough to watch for all the reasons, uh, because I only knew like a, just a small little bit about John Wayne Gacy in the situation. Honestly, my first understanding was, is that he dressed up like a clown and I thought he killed some children, but I didn't really know anything more about it. And man, it is a, it is a thing. I mean, they really take you back uh, into his history and show you just what, first of all, in terms of the time period, like how people could have gotten away with the things that he got away with. But, um, but then second of all, just how, you know, a lot of it could have been prevented, unfortunately. Um, but uh, but I really appreciate that they go into talking about the victims because I think that a lot of the docu series really, you know, they'll hone in on you know the killer or the acts of the killings and the things and the psychology behind it, and they don't talk about the victims. And so I think that it's really nice that they did that. That they're going into these, you know, the. Um, sort of like, you know, the lives of these kids um, and like why, why they were even there in the first place. And, you know, what it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it just, I haven't finished it yet, but it's getting crazier in terms of the fact that like all of this is just information that's clearly out there on the internet, but yet until it's put together into a docuseries, we don't find ourselves sitting in front of something and, and, and taking it in. Um, so yeah, that's been, um, horrifying none, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, but, um, trying to get through it just cause it, it's yeah. Interesting, uh, history. I may need to check that out. I've been on a documentary binge lately. Um, yeah. I think I watched like eight docuseries this week. Um, or it's Monday. So <laughs> I watched them <laughs> over the last <laughs> week. Um, but, uh, uh, there were there were a bunch that I saw. Um, um, uh, Alicia had talked about uh, the uh, th- this is a robbery, um, which I I saw and liked. Um, there were a couple more that we've either talked about on here or that you know have just somehow not been on my radar before. But there were two that I wanted to bring up specifically. Um, one is called the crime of the century. It just came out on HBO, yeah. which is about the opioid epidemic. And the first it's two episodes. They're both 90 minutes, I think. Um, and they're, they essentially split it into the Oxycontin, uh, outrage is the first episode. And then the fentanyl outrage is the second episode. And they talk about how essentially a crime was committed for Oxycontin to actually be allowed to be given to people. And then they overpromoted it and overhyped it and 
told doctors everything they knew about opioids was wrong so that they would they would keep uh, doing it. And as someone who has taken both of those medications, I can tell you they're both terrible and they will kill you. So um, I thought those were really good. Um, the other one I saw is a little bit older, but not much. It's called Murder on Middle Beach. Um, this was about uh, the, the documentary is actually made by the son of a woman who was murdered when he was 18 years old. And he starts the film as like a college film project, um, this documentary, but then he ends up sort of shelving it, coming back to it in three years, getting more involved in the investigation and then coming back in another three years and, and getting even more in depth so he gets this really broad history of who his mom was, kind of the secrets in her life, um, all of these things that are happening. And it's one where um, uh, if you if you watch it on HBO's website or if you go to the page for it on HBO's website after you watch it, there's a brief update video from him that's like right before we were right before this was supposed to air, we got a bunch of new information. We're looking through it. We're working through it. We're investigating it. We're working with the police on it and there's going to be more of this. So I was, I was really pleasantly surprised by it. Um, it was, it was really well done for like a 24, 25 year old filmmaker who worked on it for six years and was the son of, the murder victim. So um, that's, that's what I got. Um, Alicia, how about you? Uh, I rewatched this week, something I hadn't seen actually for quite a few years, which was there will be blood. Um, liked remembered liking it. I think I'd only seen it the one time and I'm kind of surprised that was the case uh, when it first came out. Uh, Cause I pretty much see every Paul Thomas Anderson, but I, I don't think I rewatch those as often. And I think they need a rewatch because I always think they're better the second time when I see them for the most part. So, or, or multiple times, but yeah, I, I watched that and, um, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the, the silence, the terrain, the, the belts of screaming, uh, you know, Daniel Day Lewis is always fantastic in just about everything I see him in. So I'm always up for a Daniel Day Lewis movie. Uh, yeah, it, I would definitely recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen that. Um, I feel like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson sometimes has similar things in that he's a little more unconventional and stuff, although I feel like every film is unconventional in a little bit different way for the most part. So, you know, this is not, you know, the same strangeness as Boogie Nights or, you know, Magnolia or whatever, but there's something much different that happens, you know, in everything that, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I really liked it. Uh, yeah, it's I think, a great movie. It's, it's the battle of wills between the two, yeah. the two guys. And it might've been, it might've been the first movie I've kind of forgotten now, but I, I can't remember seeing Paul Dano before this movie, or at mm -hmm. least n really paying attention to him. Um, and I think that really kind of set him on a path of doing a lot of this, you know, um, you know, artsy creative choices that, that he makes now. And, and but he's so like good that. at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's excellent in that movie. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed that. And uh, it's definitely a movie you want to be very alert for. You want to have some coffee or something because you have those long, slow parts, which are so great and such a payoff. But if you're a little drowsy, 
it might it might not be the movie to start at 11:30 at night or whatever your late hour is teacher that's late but you know so you know but if but you got to give it the time it needs because it really pays off yeah there's a it's either a meme or a t-shirt design that i've seen that's just a picture of of daniel day lewis from that movie with the giant mustache and he's like kind of looking off to the right like like oh yeah and it says daniel day lewis he will drink your milkshake and beat you to death with a bowling pin (laughs) yeah well and and uh we have kind of a, a a group of four that we play some board games with and things and a lot of it, I knew I needed to see it again when I'm listening to constantly, I've abandoned my child, just constantly being shouted out randomly during the gameplay, <laughs> or uh, Bastard from a Basket. I heard a lot of Bastard from a Basket just in the middle of, you know, rolling some dice or whatever. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I don't even remember the context of those. I need to watch that again. Yeah. Yep, that's a great one. Well, um, our movie this week was Playtime. Um, had anyone besides Alicia seen it before? Nathan has. Okay. So, um, Christine, what did you think of Playtime? It was interesting. Um, it (laughs) took a while. It took a little bit for me to get what was going on. I liked at the beginning, there was a bit of like, choreography everything seemed to be in sync everybody moving like in certain ways around each other was kind of like dancing that caught my eye a bit um and it just sort of seemed to drag a bit to me uh until they got to the restaurant and then it picked up and then that was interesting in the fact that everything up to that point seemed choreographed and then it seemed there that they when you're wanting the chore- choreography that everything didn't seem as choreographed i like that juxtaposition mm-hmm. that everything's supposed to go smoothly at a restaurant and everything's supposed to be all well done but they lost that and everything's falling apart that was nice um that added to the humor of the movie. Um, but it was really confusing because I was like, okay, I'm following these people now, and now I'm following these people. And it's just it with a lot of back and forth, but also very slow at the same time. So it was a little bit hard to keep my attention on. And then the one thing that I did make a special note of uh, was when the guy came in with... Uh, the Herald Tribune with the yellow shirt on. And I was like, oh, it's like Gene Seberg, but not as great. (laughs) Yeah. But um, that's how I felt about the movie. Okay. Josh, how about you? (laughs) Yeah. So um, I I almost feel like uh, Tati said some kind of weird trap where it's hard to Uh, critique the movie because it's almost baked into the plot that the first hour is kind of dull and slow and monotonous and it's got its satire you know but um like christine i had a hard time getting through that first hour just because i I got the joke 
pretty quickly. And then the joke would repeat about six times. And then, uh, boy, those, those chairs, those are some wacky chairs that inflate and deflate. And I know later it's juxtaposed with the chairs that mark your back and everything. I get it. I get it. Tati, I've got it. That uh, everybody's watching little little screens in their house, but their house is a screen too. Okay, I've got it. I've I just move on. So it uh, that that whole first hour, I was a little perturbed with it. But then, once it moved from what he doesn't like about Paris to what he does like about Paris, which is like the wild, crazy nights and the international people mingling and the the chaos of it and the fun of it and everything um i got much more into that part of the movie but i think all that's by design in terms of how he structured the movie so to say i i agree with christine about the pacing problem but i also don't know if that was an intentional problem put into the movie to make you appreciate the second half more um so yeah, I don't know if I've fallen into his trap and I'm like, ah, oh, that was too slow. Uh, and he's like, yes, of course it was too slow. Or if, uh, <laughs> yeah, if it was just an honest problem I had with the movie in terms of, it could have been about an hour and a half probably and made all the same points and still gotten everything across. But, um, yeah, the second half of it, I liked a lot. Um, the, the chaos in the restaurant, um, the fake doorman, um, just all the uh, Parisian, the the Germans and the Americans and the the French all getting together to have a party. That was that was great. Um, but uh, yeah, first half rough, second half good. Okay, yeah, Zach, how about you? Yeah, this was like a mashup of Mister Bean and Where's Waldo. <laughs> so pretty good, pretty good, pretty pretty yeah. pretty good. Um, yeah, sentiments are the same as, as everyone else so far that's uh, given theirs. And, um, I, I think that, um, obviously there was purpose behind all of that. I really liked just the time period. I thought it was crisp, uh, even though the version I was watching, um, uh, was obviously remastered and, and definitely got some uh, blurry a little bit every once in a while with the, uh, internet connection, but I just really liked that. Um, just, just seeing that, that sixties, uh, Paris, I don't think I've ever really seen much of that before. So I, I really enjoyed taking in that, the culture, the lifestyle, the look of, of that time period. Um, but, uh, in terms of, yes, the story or the plot or, you know, it's about time we had a movie that didn't do anything, right? What was it? <laughs> <Like>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what it was. And I, I kind of picked it up right off the bat. Uh, and then, you know, he gets uh, a hold gets to the um, the offices and there's the whole rigmarole around the offices and everything, um, you know, good, good jokes. But obviously they're setting you up because they pay off a lot of jokes in the restaurant in the Royal Garden, or I guess I should say the nightclub, um, which I'm like, is it a nightclub? Is it a restaurant? Is it they don't even know what they are. Um, and uh, they did. They definitely set up a lot of like uh characters that came in i mean there was every once in a while i'd be like oh that's the person that's from this thing or that thing they all kind of congregated together at the at the nightclub uh to a point where you know everything is finally starting to pull itself in and and make sense not not that it needs to make sense at all but just like you know in your brain seeing people in the payoffs um but there were some really good gags and jokes in the restaurant or the nightclub jesus um 
the guy. Yeah, it is really. I think the, the, I mean, just like the, from the service, first of all, my anxiety level went to like a thousand watching those restaurant workers. Cause mm-hmm. I've been in that situation before. I'm sure a lot of us have, Oh, I was just like, Jesus, this is a nightmare. And also being like a manager too. I mean, it, it, chaos is a manager's worst nightmare. It's obviously what they're there to do is manage, but like Jesus. Um, but like the guys whose clothes were ripping and then they'd change clothes with the other guy was great. Um, and then obviously the doorman was wonderful. Um, and, uh, the, um, the, what really got me was the guy who fell off of the stool three times and then they put him inside of the stool standing up at the bar. Probably my favorite. And he was like, just kind of wobbling inside of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's probably my favorite joke. Um, Overall, I think that it's uh, it's a movie that I'm like, oh, interesting. Obviously, I would have never picked this up or watched this otherwise, and I always appreciate the recommendations. Not anything that I'm gonna, you know, go tell my mom about, but um, <laughs> as I, I just don't think she'd really like it. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, j- good sense of comedy overall. Just odd overall as well. <laughs> I f- I feel the need to state that this podcast is not for any of our mothers. <laughs> hey, last week my mom was on was uh watching the movie with me. Oh, that's so. true. We did get feedback from your mom, yep. so. Yes. All right. Hi again, Aunt Jerry. I guess you're probably <laughs> listening to this. Um so um I'm up next cuz I haven't seen it and uh and Nathan and Alicia are the only ones left. Um so I I I have a coherent review of this movie, but I wanted to start with uh, the review that I thought of about halfway through it, uh, which is in the style of the Chris Farley show, which is, do you, do you remember that part where he was confused? That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that other part where he was confused? That was awesome. Um, although I flip back and forth between whether it's awesome or awful, um, depending on how things were hitting me. Um, (laughs) yes, this movie is, is crazy long. Um, it's very, it's very funny and it's, but it's, it's very of its time. Um, you could not get away with making a movie that's this freaking slow today. Um, you know, it, it, Zach compared it to Mr. Bean, like Mr. Bean is way faster and way funnier than, than this movie is. But this, I mean, Tati influenced Mr. Bean, right? Like that's the order of things. That's how things got set up. And Mr. Bean started in short form sketches. And so it's it's more stuff it's more polished it's more laughs per minute like than uh than a movie form is gonna have um so yeah my experience of watching it was similar to everybody else's um it took me about 15 minutes to get in the headspace of what the movie was doing what was happening what was going on um i i was the beginning has a bunch of dialogue that's just kind of not interesting or informative, like 
informative to the plot. So you're like, because it's subtitled, like you're really focused on that at first. And it's like, that is not the thing to care about in this movie. And so it took me a while to get there. When I got there, it was right at the 15 minute mark. They had the, what I think is the really the first like decent joke in the movie. And it actually got a belly laugh out of me. It was like, ah, this clicks now I'm getting it. And it's when he gets to the, uh, the office and they call the guy with the tap shoes and the guy in the tap shoes is walking from like a mile away, but we can see him and we can hear him because he's got those tap shoes on. And the other guy just keeps telling him to sit back down. Like he's not close enough yet. Sit back down. He's not close enough yet. I love that style of humor. I love that just like awkward, like we're going to watch this whole damn thing, aren't we? Like, yep, we are. We're going to watch him walk every step. <laughs> um, so that got me. But then there was like 20 of those in the movie. And so those jokes kind of wear out. Uh, they don't kind of wear out. They they wear out really quickly. And then you're just sort of like, well, okay, what else you got? What else is, what's the next gag? What's, what's going to happen now? Um, so unlike everybody who's gone before me, when they got to the restaurant and we got to the point where it, it was maybe like five or 10 minutes before he came into the restaurant, like where he, he was finally back in the movie. I, I, I had this thought to myself. I was like, oh my God this restaurant is going to be the whole rest of the movie. <laughs> and it was. And I was horrified. I was like, <laughs> I cannot believe that the whole rest of this movie is just going to be this insane restaurant scene. And yes, it's faster. And yes, it has more jokes and gags in it. And yes, it has more payoff than what came before it. But I have to throw my hand up here and admit that I watched this on Canopy. Canopy, Canopy has a 1.5 speed. Oh, it does? And I watched the ah. rest of the movie at 1.5 speed. So ah. it was the Three Stooges for me. It was super fast <laughs> and super crazy. Um, I just I just couldn't with this movie. And I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, humor is subjective and... Uh, uh, my opinion is 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 not from an objective place. It's it's <laughs> from an emotional place. Um, I would I would not watch this movie again. Um, the one thing I was interested in, and maybe it'd be better for me to ask Alicia this when it's her turn, but um, I assume that the guy who was like remember me from the military is in a previous movie with this character. No, he's just sort of there. I don't. Okay. I don't remember. I mean, I've seen because there's the like two, three or four of them, aren't there? This is the third of three of uh, Monsieur Hulot, and uh, okay. I've seen the other two, one more recently than the other, but I don't remember seeing him in those. Okay, well, part of that great a, humor. There, yeah, there was an opportunity um, for, for for somebody for something. Uh, 54 years ago. So, uh, Nathan, how did you enjoy rewatching Playtime? 
Well, I'm I'm going to go back to, and this this may become my new refrain about comedies, is that you kind of have to watch comedies more than once sometimes to get into them and start to understand. Because like, once you've heard the joke, then you're in on the joke, and then you can find the joke funny. It's kind of it's this order of operations to some degree. Certain types of humor work that way, and especially like Coen Brothers movies, uh, even Paul Thomas Anderson. We were just talking about him. I mean, some of those things they they take. I'll be honest with you, the first. 10 episodes of Seinfeld I got under me. I didn't think it was funny at all. And then something finally clicked and I loved it. Um, The first time I watched this, I think it was uh, under the influence of some sort of gummy. Um, So I was more prepared for, and I I had seen uh, Mon Oncle and I'd seen another one of his movies, which was uh, Jour de Fête. Judah yeah. fit. So I kind of, I was prepared from that standpoint. So I knew what I was jumping into a little bit. So that helped. I, I kind of think like watching this is a little bit like watching Fantasia, like a really good Fantasia clip, except that it's two hours long um, where you're there partly yeah. for the music. And that's really what you're there for. And the visuals are just there to be kind of stunning and interesting. And if you take it with that weight it starts growing on you. Um, See, and, I felt myself wanting to play music while it was on. Well, and there wasn't a lot of music in certain parts of it. It was it was more about the sounds and the sound effects. But what's going on on screen is very artistic. Um, so, I agree with that. And I, what I was saying is like it's like the kind of thing that somebody would just show at a concert while they were performing, just unedited. It's just on the screen playing while they're playing their concert. It wouldn't shock and, me at all if, they, if somebody has done that. I mean, it's because it's it's very visually interesting. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I agree. No modern film director would probably attempt this. I mean, uh, just a little bit of tiny history because we've got the Blu-ray. So I listened to some special features after we were done. Uh, this was the most expensive movie made in France at the time by a long shot. Yeah, it was uh, art directed within an inch of its life. It is filmed near Paris, but they actually built the whole damn city. Uh, so it is. they actually called it Tativille while they were in production. It took two years to film it because he literally would take, maybe do two scenes a day. The light had to be right. And he had to basically go around with every single actor, starting with the foreground, going to the background, to kind of talk through what they were going to do, then what the next guy was going to do to interact with that, then the next guy, the next guy, the next guy. Every damn person on screen just about, I think he had a conversation with and pretty much gave them their motions. Every scene. Uh, So I know the, the restaurant scene is super chaotic, but it's chaotic by design. It's not chaotic by accident at all. And it's, it is, it's like kind of staring at a painting and maybe the next time you come to it, like the second time I've watched this movie, second time you come to it, you start seeing other jokes or you start catching how they start working in together. So there's like the, the crown chairs on the back of everybody's back and the, the waiter that's fallen apart and, and, and just little things like the stupid sign on the outside of the cafe where every time someone walks in and they're a little drunk, they look up and they, they go back in the cafe these things kind of add up. And I honestly think even at the beginning, it's the same thing. So like the first half of the movie has a lot of those little subtle things that get funnier next time you see it. I, if you didn't like it, I wouldn't recommend you watch it again, but I definitely think it's worth another watch. I will be watching it again. So yeah. that's my thought. 
I will say, and I, I forgot to say this, my, my favorite gag of the whole thing was a running joke uh, during the restaurant scene, which was the doorman with the door handle. Yeah. That, that got me every time. It was funny every time. So, yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, what the hell, Alicia? Um, why did we watch this? Tonight. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't know how you guys would take this for sure, to be honest. And I, upon the second watching that we did, I think I had said more than once, I said, they're going to say it's too long. They're going to say it's too long. I know that's, <laughs> I know that's what they're going to talk about. They're going to say it's too long. Because, um, yeah, it is slow. And, and, you know, I am by no means presenting this as this is the most hilarious movie of the century folks you gotta check well you out didn't give us time. any you didn't give us anything really about it you just no well what the only thing i said was that I, which is more than maybe a lot of people say when they pick their pick but i said it's uh it's in french but that's not really gonna matter because it's more about choreography and design that's what i said and and i think that's what it is and i think that's what i really enjoy about it is that it is designed to the hilt Every, everything is planned. Uh, the most the, the things that are supposed to seem like they're not planned are obviously planned. But but I I think I I like it a lot. I, I I do find funny parts. I definitely think there are parts that are funny. I like it more like why you sit at a cafe in Europe and the chairs are turned out to look at the people. That's why I yeah. like it because I like to see all this crazy stuff going on and pick up on all these little things which. It is, that is the reward of watching it more than once if you care to do that is that you just notice so much more every single time and once you've watched it once what I found myself doing the second time which is why I wanted to pick it so it would make myself watch it a second time here not too long after I'd seen it the first time was I, I didn't have expectations then I wasn't trying to figure out a plot I wasn't at the beginning going, is this a hospital? Is this an airport? Who are these people? How do they know that person? What's the guy picking up the trash doing? Like, I wasn't trying to calculate why everyone was in this scene. I already knew. It didn't matter. They're just people. They're just, it's just, I'm sitting at the airport, people watching. Yeah, and and I think that was our collective, like, first 15 minutes of the movie was, like, realizing that, Nothing matters in this movie. It's no, just it d- doesn't matter that the comedy. wife is reminding the husband about his pajamas and his cigarettes are in the in the bag, and you know, and the nun's little hats flap, and I mean, it's all just kind of this randomness. But I just liked, I, I so admire the design of it. I, I love mid-century modern stuff anyway, and just this look at it. And you know, again, it's not even for the time. It wasn't new to critique the modern by far but i just think this is done so well the color palette i think is amazing and everything being this kind of gray black white and then you have those pops of color you've got the blue folder the guy in the office is carrying around you've got the red lights that are going off in different places you've got the green neon sign like i loved that and i and that's all just kind of an artistic standpoint kind of stuff there that i just loved how they did all that um, I, I, I had seen other Jacques Tati. I, I mean, I, when I was in college taking French classes and was required to go to language lab for so many hours a week, I decided to spend my time watching French movies instead of listening to tapes of people speaking French. So I just basically ran the gamut on all the old French movies. And so uh, I remember seeing this and just thinking it was fun and it passed the time and it was just kind of a bizarre way of looking at things. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's got the Chaplin influence, obviously. 
Uh, it goes its own way. The French kind of have their own thing. I mean, you know, they're obsessed with Jerry Lewis in a way that I'll never understand. But, you know, it's there's there's just that appreciation of that choreography of that comedy that I that I just, you know, kind of sit in awe of to a degree. I know it didn't do well when it came out. I, you know, it was not as successful as the other Monsieur Hulot movies, uh, which from what I've read, a lot of it may have been the fact that it took too long and he's hardly in it really and, and different things like that. But, but yeah, I just, I just enjoy watching it as a fantastic piece of film in how it was done and, and its look. So that I think I, I, I'm not slapping my knees through the whole thing, but there's definitely funny moments that I laugh. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, and I really appreciate those. And, and I think the more, I, I'm, I'm not going to watch it again right away, but I know the next time I watch it, I'm going to notice 50 more things I didn't notice the first time. So yeah. I appreciate that. I think it's, I think it's better. Like, I mean, like you can, you can call it a comedy. I mean, it is a comedy. Um, but you know, it's one of those movies that you don't laugh at so much as you say, Oh, that's clever. Right. Exactly. Like stuff they're doing with reflections, stuff they're doing with 2d space, right? Where they're, they're setting shots up that work in 2d space that don't work in the real world. But because we're watching from the camera position, um, even stuff as simple as like that little room that he's in where every painting is staring at him. Right. But it's yeah. just because we, of the position of the camera. So, right. well, and just all, I mean, you are the voyeur in that everything is from a distance. You watching things. There's nothing, you're not right up in somebody's face. They're not going back and forth panning as, as there's a conversation. It's just you observing things from afar and all those little things, you know, seeing the wheels of a little wheelie chair running back and forth under a map board and seeing the posters of traveling to different exotic places that all have the same building and the door that, opening. Uh, that wheelie chair thing was on a track. Right. I figured it out while I was watching it. I figured it out how they were doing that. Yeah, it's it's those are the <laughs> things that, you know, piqued my interest. And, you know, the the only time you see the iconic, uh, you know, Eiffel Tower that you want to think of, the only time you think of Paris is only in a reflection and you never really see it because it's just blocked by buildings like stuff like that. I just I just liked that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah, you were talking about the uh, the opening dialogue between that couple that's sitting in the airport as the movie starting. And I, I think he does that intentionally to kind of because he doesn't like dump you into this crazy world. He he kind of gradually pushes you into it. So like you're sitting there listening to these two people talk about mundane shit and you, you're trying to sucker yourself in for like a, a false sense of narrative that isn't there. And while that's happening, things start happening in the background. They're way more interesting than anything they're discussing. Right. And I, I think it's just intentional. It's like he's just taking a little dial and go, boop, you know, just here's, to try to get you there. Here's my uh, my artistic read of of the movie's narrative, the overall structure of it. It is a travel brochure for Paris. You arrive at an airport terminal and you exit at an airport terminal. So everything <laughs> in between is your trip to Paris. It, it's your your entry into this world, and that's why we end on the Paris Hotel, and it switches from day to night, and then, at least in the Criterion version, it it ends with a couple of titles about the remaster. So, well, something I didn't really know until we had been watching some of the extras this time too was a lot of the people in it are not actors. And I thought that was especially interesting just because of the fact that so many of them, 
everything was so choreographed that to have a lot of people who were he had just pulled off the street because they looked interesting you know hey be in my movie because i like your look and then you know a lot of it's very involved uh the motions and things they had to do so i thought that when was interesting. I, when i first saw that like texas oil guy that's in the restaurant whatever that guy is um i thought it was hoyt axton the guy who plays the dad in the gremlins yeah oh yeah I was convinced it was him, but then I was like, no, he's already too old for this to be right. And I, I IMDb it and it wasn't him. In fact, the guy that plays that part isn't even on IMDb like that. That's crazy. They don't he's even, such a, they, they don't even list the role. Oh, he's like such a huge part of that scene, especially when he does like the private club only stuff. And oh, it's that's, like that, that, yeah. They focus on yeah. that for a good, probably 10, 15 minutes almost. It seems like yeah, so. you have to have the crown on your back to get into his yeah. private and then club. he put it on the one girl's back after she had the chair incident and yeah <laughs> that was great i just realized too that i did not know how to pronounce the guy's name so i when you finally said it uh alicia it's what is it monsieur say it again please Hulot. well it's monsieur like mister and then right. hulo h-u-l-o-t i believe is got spelled. it mm-hmm. yeah i was saying holt because I was like, that's all. I'm so American, hey, I can't even say his name the correctly. The Texas oil guy, he was still pulling off his French, even though it was all American was. accent all the way. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes more sense now Why you, when you were saying it. So there's a whole series of yeah. based around his character, essentially. Yeah, like there, there's Got one it. called um, uh, Mon Oncle, which, which actually won Best Foreign Film in the 50s mm-hmm. when it came there's out. There's so like, one with like his the character's name in the title. Yeah, yeah Michel like Hulot's Holiday. holiday. So that comes second. So the first one is uh, my uncle, mon oncle. And so that, I think that's the first, I might be wrong, they might be switched, but but that one, he, it, it, I mean, cause there was a good 10 year span between those two and this one too, cause he spent so much time planning this one and making it uh, and bankrupted himself basically. But, but yeah. like that one is really cool because like he goes to his sister's house and brother-in-law's house and they have, it's again, this whole modern thing, modernization thing, but it's, you know, 10, 15 years earlier when it was more of a, you know, nouveau thing to be thinking about all the modern technology. And so they have this whole electronic house and all the doors move. And like it, when someone rings at the gate, the, the wife runs over and turns the fountains on in the yard so that there's fountains coming up as they walk in and, you know, all this stuff. So it's a a lot of like those technology sight gag kind of things and and you know it's not to this scale it's definitely not to this scale the other two and the, you know and then monsieur hulot's holiday he goes on vacation and so he's at the beach and hijinks you know results yeah. and all that kind of thing yeah i've seen rowan atkinson talk about mr bean and how a lot of his inspiration is tati uh chaplin and buster keaton which makes sense when you watch Mr. Oh. Bean, like it's all of that stuff and his own special twist on it. Yeah. And it's like, it's so the opposite of who Rowan Atkinson is as a person. It's just hilarious. Well, and I think especially that, that characteristic of Mr. Bean rarely talks, but when he does, it's very low and you don't hear him. That's definitely <laughs> what we saw Mr. Hulot doing this. We hardly ever hear anything mm-hmm. come out of his mouth, although we see him talking. So Yeah. Yeah, they were doing lots of stuff with uh, with sound editing, um, where a lot, I mean, most of the dialogue was dubbed, um, and they were doing that so they could get away with a bunch of stuff that would make noise normally, but having it do other things, like most obviously the, the door that closes silently, like that door did not close silently. They 
made that happen in in post um but there was a bunch of stuff going on with that and i could actually hear it and i don't know if when they remastered it they they messed this up or not but there were a couple of scenes where the room would have this pitch this like noise in it and then every once in a while it would change pitches it'd be like Hmm. and it was like you're talking about at the office building like when he's in that waiting room no it's it happens like when he's walking through like the furniture area it's it's like around the time that he's talking to the german guy about like the german guy thought that he stole the the papers or whatever right and what happened is they there's an insert scene in there where they either didn't have audio to go with that or they sped up a section of film underneath it to to put that sound there and so they actually play back this same room tone but it's like a semitone or two higher than it's supposed to be hmm. and wearing headphones and watching it fully remastered it sticks out like crazy and I'm an audio engineer. Like I listen for that stuff without even thinking about it. And so I was like, Oh, I would have not done that. If I was remastering this, I would have, I would have uh, fixed that problem. But, yeah. I heard it too. I, I didn't know if that was like intentional or whatever, but yeah, I do recall that as well. So, but yeah, um, Josh, it is your turn to suggest to maybe what would you like for us to watch next? Uh, I think we're finally going to pull the trigger on One Cut of the Dead. Um, Oh, sweet. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. Thanks, everybody, uh, for the discussion on Playtime. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Mm -hmm.